Coffee. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Latest Shiny Podcast. This is your co-host, uh, Stephen Spector. And with me, of course, is Rob Hirschfeld. Rob, how are you? Hey, Stephen. It's always a pleasure. So, Rob, it feels like we haven't done a podcast in a while. Uh, you know, when you just push podcasts out, sometimes we get ahead. And so now we're going to be doing another bulk of them to get ahead. And uh, recently on Twitter, found one of our longtime friends who we haven't talked to in ages. And certainly... Um, we need to spend time talking with them. So let me go ahead and introduce uh, JP Morgenthal, who is the, not just CTO, JP, you're the VP and CTO of Automation Anywhere. I am impressed with the extra VP that goes above and beyond. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, titles are nothing. So <laughs> it, they are. <laughs> They, they only mean Keep, keyboards and only, access keys are everything. That's the they, question. Right? They, well, actually, no titles only mean something to customers who want somebody to bitch at. So, uh, so is that, then, is then, that, all, is, then all of a sudden it's important. <laughs> right. So is that your new job? Yeah, basically you're too, you're too low on the ladder. I want somebody higher. They get a level letter in front of that VP, you know? Uh, so, well, actually it's funny because it, I've been in these fields oriented CTO roles for quite a while. And I never, and I, I think the business has always had difficulties really understanding why do we have them and why are they called CTOs? Because you're not the technology visionary for the direction of technology in the company. And you're certainly not the technology, you know, you're not driving engineering leadership out in the world, right? So this field CTO the title has been problematic my whole life, but I, and I, I've always accepted it and I've always, you know, made it about the customer. And this time I really uh, I had an epiphany the other day that really my job is to be the customer advocate for uh, within engineering and product, right? I'm there representing their interests and making sure that they're being successful with whatever it is they purchased. Uh, by leaning on my technical knowledge to be able to explain to my people how best they can, you know, they can make the product so that these people can be more successful with what they're doing. And, and I'm happy with that. I mean, you know, it's um, it, 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 because you end the, it really is a form of customer success role. And, uh, and of course, there's, a, there's always an aspect of front oriented or front ended sales, right? Where you're, you're pre-sales, but uh, I, I, you know, the other part of it that I really like, and I'm trying to drive more of is helping the customer figure out the solution, right? That's because uh, that's at the end of the day, what I, and what I really feel I excel at is building solutions, designing solutions, figuring out how to use the tool to do something really cool. So in, in that regard, I mean, how do you end up you know, because this, this to me is like you can solve any problem. How do you know which which problems your you you can solve versus are places to bring in another tool or you know process issues? What do you, well, that, how do you make you a know, decision I, about I what's what's the uh, the entire? That's a that's the path for the career to get here. In fact, uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, reporters, you know, Information Week or one of those asked, was doing. Uh, bios on uh, CTOs in the industry and how do you know trying to provide advice to other people who might want to so stupidly do this career path but um, you know <laughs> it, look at the end of the day it, it's so much about you, you, somebody who has a huge ego who, who has some affinity for manipulating this stuff who wants their platform and then you know as you get older you realize that you just spent an entire career 
trying to grab your 15 minutes of fame. Uh, and hopefully you did something really well during that time. But, you know, the, the experience is really just the years of working with customers and being able to recognize uh, a problem domain and, and having the experience of touched a lot of problem domains. It's, I don't see somebody who's done some web development in, you know, early on in their career, all of a sudden jumping in and being a phenomenal enterprise architect. I mean, if you haven't touched and walked through a data center and understand what's involved there, if you haven't uh, looked at and touched the mainframe in your lifetime, if you haven't <laughs> built client server applications or understand them and understand, you know, the, the, the basis of all the existing J2EE software out there and, mm. and the, and the mountains, how do you really under, how do you help a customer? Right. Cause your answer to everything is, Oh, just build that in react JS. Okay. But that's actually, not really where the world lives. You, you went exactly, exactly where I was, where I was going to go. Cause I feel like a lot of times, especially the cloud native, the answer to cloud native is well, burn down what you got. Oh, and yeah, you found something I can bitch about. <laughs> you found There's the Raycast coming out. Go ahead. <laughs> you found the thing. Well, no, look, I mean, you nailed it. You nailed it. And that's because you and I have been living this for so long, the realities of this. But it's the, it's the house of cards, right? We keep in the industry saying that we're making it easier and easier for people to build new solutions or to, to you know, but and requires either it requires very specialized knowledge and, uh, and, and you build the hero complex uh, or, or the, you know, the group of heroes that are required to maintain it, or you build something that does provide simplicity like J2EE, but nobody ever really understood the underpinnings of how it worked, right? You built an entire yeah. army of developers, Ruby on Rails, right? They can understand how to take the tool and build an entire application with it. But when it fails, they really don't understand how the Ruby processing engine or compiler converts things in such a way that it, you know, that it's causing a problem or why a particular number isn't uh, calculating the way it should, right? That's all of a sudden, and we have this, not just in IT. My favorite example is the o ODB2 adapter on cars, right? You, you go into Jiffy Loop, these people who work in Jiffy Loop don't know cars anymore 90% of the time. You might get a car enthusiast who just happens to also take a job at Jiffy Lube and but could take <laughs> apart an entire transmission and put it back together. Very unlikely that you're most likely getting somebody who went through some tech course on how to work, you know, go down below, do this step, this step, this step, that step, attach this thing to the ODB2 uh, adapter in the car and make sure your readout reads this, right? But as soon as a fan belt isn't going at the right timing, Right. You know, it's like uh, my cousin Vinny. So what is the right setting for a, a 1962 Plymouth Duster? Half past it. It's not an answer. Right. I mean, you know, it was the tires. Were, Wasn't it the tires? It was, she no, did. no, no. But that was he was trying to prove that she didn't know what she was talking about. So what's the timing on the, uh, on yes. the transmission? And she's like, you can't answer it. <laughs> Watch that movie too much. I love it though. It's a trick question, you know. It's, but who are the people that can do this in IT anymore, right? Who who are the ones that know the industry so well, the pieces so well that can look at it and go, "That's that's not how that's supposed to work," or "That's going to be a failure." 
right? Yeah. I just don't think they exist. This or is, we're all this dying. Is, no, this is this is a dilemma that I think that that real organizations face, and I, I think is really hard to articulate, which is you 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 want to have a platform and a way to improve your infrastructure. You have to build that into the into your plan. And you also want to respect what was there. Um, right? I mean, this is the whole lift and shift that, you know, it's like, oh, I'm just gonna lift everything and move it over into cloud. Now I'm cloud. And you know, you didn't actually pay down any of the technical debts. You didn't make your organization more agile. You didn't, you didn't do any of that really hard work um, to make that go. And that's, and that is actually hard work coming in and just telling people, oh, it'll be better if you, you know, repeat the, repeat it, but with these new technologies doesn't, doesn't. Well, yeah, fix you, it, right? you're absolutely right. But, he, but here's the point about that, right? It, okay. It's um, what's happening I think has value, but it's being oversold and uh, it's hmm. something being oversold in the IT industry. Go figure that. I am, right? I I am mean, absolutely surprised like that, that one case. <laughs> it's never happened before. <laughs> that but is new. But it's crawl, walk, run, right? Step one is I've isolated this process uh, in such a way that I can now repeatedly deploy it um, using automated tools. It's consistent. The connection, whenever, when I push it out, the entire environment is set up with everything the way it's it, pristine. So mm -hmm. that if I had to rebuild it in a new environment tomorrow, I could, I could handle disasters, I can do scalability. Now, did I fix anything about the architecture? No. Did I improve performance? Most likely not. No. You might have improved the ability, the speed at which the application can respond to more people slightly if the, right. if the application was designed with appropriate level of clustering and stuff to begin with. But in general, you still have, you crawled. You now have this repeatable process. Now the question is, are you going to do the hard work of learning how to walk or are you just going to crawl around on your stomach for the ah, stomach, like an amoeba? I, I actually think that, that that's more than crawling, what you just described. Because what you just described is a way that as you make changes to the thing that you are now improving, you have a way to get that thing into production or through a test cycle or, right? I mean, this is why unit tests are so valuable because every time I make a change, I risk breaking everything. And the, the harder it is to push things through that pipeline, the harder it is to make a successful change and then you batch the changes and then you're back to the old, old patterns, right? I actually think there's a, what you just described to me is much more substantive improvement than telling somebody to rewrite their application and go and uh, the Java. Well, there's high risk in that. I mean, uh, no joke, uh, the automation anywhere had a C-sharp based uh, Windows client application for years uh, that they, you know, for, for, for doing RPA. And, uh, you know, and they took the risk of rebuilding everything for the web in Java. And that's huge. I mean, the undertaking was immense and the risk was significant. And I think in the early days of uh, the piece that we call A2019, we definitely got punched in the face a lot because it's new software. 
And we all, and, and you can't ignore the debug cycle of new software, right? I mean, we know it's a, you know, a, a, a hill that eventually declines, right? So until you, until the thing's been alive for a, a period of time and running and, and, you know, has seen some action with customers, you're not going to know where your holes are. As, and there's only so much testing you can do. Nobody does it has comprehensive 100% coverage testing. It's too expensive. So, and- so, JP, so JP, I'm going to ask the question on this because, right, we've we've taken the monolithic programming and now we have all these cloud stuff and microservices and all this stuff. That hasn't solved that problem. That's because people call microservices is what we were talking about before. It's put it in a container and and then and isolate it and now it's a microservice it's not but a microservice there it's an isolated a, software yes, there's a still, podcast coming on when when the devops lunch group talks about serverless about exactly this and how how the complexity about that that problem that people should pay, watch for when it comes out because it's it's amazing it'll be a it'll be a podcast or it'll go be to a couple of weeks but, yeah yeah but great. it's just like it reminds me of object oriented programming i remember where they're like well you just go grab these objects and use it and you're good to go well a i gotta find it and and b don't i have to test it who made it how do i know it's perfect yeah. it, we don't seem to solve this problem at all we just keep mm. going back in circles well but, it, I, it, it's getting it, it we're, we've made some improvements. I mean, code level stuff is the hardest. Mm-hmm. You, you know, sharing, reusing code, sharing, reusing components is better, and sharing and reusing services is even more simplistic because right. uh, you know it's much more reactive and, and the and the API is much more well defined and easier to test. So we, it's only taken twenty five years, but we, we've <laughs> moved from Open Doc to uh, you know REST based services. And uh, we've, you know, we've moved the ball a little bit, but there's a lot of learning. There's a lot of pieces. This is a distributed computing problem, right? I mean, and that is the toughest problem domain, I think, in all of computing. You're, you're, you're saying something that I, I've been hearing more and more, which is that, right, we've talked about hybrid and multi-cloud, yeah, 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 but what we're really looking at is actually a distributed computing problem for infrastructure, where we're running all these pieces in all these places and the control domain, the control domains are really spread out. And these are, we're getting to a point where it's the hard problems, right? We're, we're decomposing them and exposing distributed computing problems from that perspective. And that, and no, and we really don't have the expertise in distributed computing to back, to go along with that. And that gets back to uh, our automotive people <laughs> who, you know, we, we, <clears throat> We've taught a bunch mm. of people how to build web apps, but never told them that what they were building was a house that was built on a sinkhole. A distribute. Well, so this is the, what's interesting is that we're quickly moving towards, we've made it easier to do little pieces and we're exposing the distributed uh, infrastructure problems that are behind them. I have, I have a question for you about RPA, robotic Please. process automation for people who don't automatically think that it's associate that. Yeah. associated. Because what, I mean, I've always, and, and RPA is used in a lot of different ways for a lot of things, but in my, in my focus in data center automation and DevOps and, and things like that, I've always been afraid to have a robot take on something that didn't have good controls. Like I've always thought, and I, I've actually 
industrial engineering background. And when you use robots, you do it in places where people don't do a good job, which is what RPA is about. But you can't put a robot into a process you don't have good controls on. I that, agree. Is that changing? How do you, how do oh, people? Well, that's, I think that's what differentiates automation anywhere in UiPath and Blue Prism from the rest of the crowd okay. is that these are enterprise platforms. These are, there are significant, I mean, the, the security controls architecture of automation anywhere sometimes drives me nuts. It's like working with a mock our operating system, right? It's, it's the orange book. It's, you know, you, the, the, uh, it's Tom atomicity of, you know, controls that you can apply to different things, what level you can be to be able to see a bot versus run a bot versus deploy mm. a bot versus, you know, uh, check a bot in, you know, it's like, it's very fine granularity because, and that's been learned by supporting, you know, a lot of the financial services organizations, you know, groups like JP Morgan Chase and, uh, uh, Citibank and you know large financial services organizations that have incredible you know regulatory concerns about this very issue, right? I'm going to have this thing running by itself, logging into apps and on a server, unattended, not being watched by anybody. I got to know that this thing is solid, right? I got to know that I'm not in you know opening up a security breach or, you know, in endangering the information. So there's a lot that uh, goes on with, in, in making a, you know, taking something that is as simple as what Microsoft has with Power Automate, which is, you know, really good for simplistic Windows type automation. I want to, I want to capture all the tweets written by somebody. And, and it's great for that. I used it for that. I wrote it to a blob in Azure. Great. You know, and, and then I sucked it into an Excel spreadsheet and uh, it really, you know, I was playing with it to do stuff like that, but it, it's not what you want when you're going into your SAP system and copying, you know, critical financial data out and then, you know, moving it into, you know, salesforce.com or, you know, doing some calculations on it and generating uh, it, you know, POs or things like that, right? So, it, it, you know, it, it's taking the place of activities that uh, people in the organization need to do because of the nature of, you know, the disparity of systems. So, you know, the easiest way to describe it for, for me is that we need new systems of uh, engagement to, to deal with the systems of record that are too complex to manipulate and are, hmm. you know, that are disassociated. So what is a system of engagement? What is, can you, do you have an example of one or is there something that people, you know, that you could- Well, a system of engagement is really just a way to describe the user interface, right? That's ah, okay. really, so whether you want to interact with it through mobile, whether you want to interact with it through web, whether you want to interact with it through a desktop application, right? Uh, that's your system of engagement. But if you think something, take something like Epic, if you guys have, anybody's been to a hospital lately, Epic or Cerner, you see these new applications that these hospitals use where they are uh, 12, 13 tabs deep capturing information <laughs> about you, right? And, and the nurses are, are, and, you know, and the physician's assistants are sitting there 12 to 15% of the time spent with you just entering data. Because, uh, I mean, if you count the clicks, which I do because this is what I do for a living, 
and you're up to like 32, 36 clicks. You're sitting there going, what the F, man? <laughs> this yeah. is crazy. It, there's 12 pieces of data. You just did 64 clicks, right? I mean, that is a problem where you have that disassociated system of engagement, system of uh, record problem, where the data is required to be captured in the system of record for operational use. But geez, you could have put up a very simple form with the 12 pieces of information, they type it in, and then a bot would then take that and disseminate that to the applications as necessary. That's huge. That is, that's, mm. that's changes the game for usability, for user, you know, the patient experience, right? These are things that are, are you know, real. They, they have real value. Or the person that sits there twice a week taking data out of a spreadsheet. And putting it in emails and sending it to people. Yeah, but why? Why isn't that just a UX design problem? That's. I mean, it's what you're uh, describing is. It's a. It's, yeah. it's fair. I mean, it, it's because the people with ah, simple answer. The money goes to the people who manage the system of record, not the people who manage the system of engagement. Nobody, nobody's really listening to what the users need or care or want the operational concerns of the business and what get taken care of. So you hire mm -hmm. SAP consultants to work with the COO who says, this is what we need to see. This is the way we need to see it in order to close our books and be SOX compliant. That's what you build. That's where the money's going. So, you know, money is not being applied to how do I make it easier for Sally in accounts processing to just have to enter three pieces, the three pieces of data that matter or to, to ensure that this PO is real. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm thinking of an experience I was just having with a user um, who was like, you know, literally you have too much documentation. I just want an easy guide, an easy, you know, an easy button, an easy guide for, for your product. I'm like, okay. And it only should cover my use case. Right, this switch, this server, this operating system, in this network configuration. Um, well, that's I'm really like, difficult for you. I mean, because the permutations for what you do is, in, you know, is incredibly and, difficult. And this is this to me is where the UX. And this actually, I think, is interesting because we really haven't talked to anybody about RPA, particularly, um, where you know the user interface permutations are incredibly hard because as soon as you you hide information to streamline it for I that interaction somebody. now you're like okay well wait a second now i need to get to this information and i can't find it because now you've hidden it um i mean it's, it's just an incredibly hard problem to solve um yeah but now if you had all your data out on uh you know on a website organized with a modicum of uh, formatting that was discernible, you mm. could easily have a bot go through and say, you know, here's a checklist of items with regard to this configuration. Go pull me all the links or all the paragraphs and content for these sections and give it to me in a PDF. I could do that in about three hours, you know, right. a, a bot to, to go and build against all that data if the data was there. And this, this, I think, is where some of the decoupling we're talking about makes it possible for you to say, you know what, my UX is really not a UX. What it really is, is it's a service, it's a microservice aggregation point where I'm going to collect the, collect the information. And if you can, if you can help with, an, you know, the doc, maybe it's the doctor's experience. office is the perfect thing. I'm, I'm coming in, I'm like, all right, I have a routine health thing. 
here is the stuff I do for routine health thing. That's its own stuff, collect the data, go. And as soon as somebody's like, oh, and by the way, I'm having heart palpitations, you're like, ooh, ooh, you're not on this form anymore. And now you can, you know, now that maybe the clicks are okay. So logic, so adding logic where logic doesn't exist is a great example. Ensuring okay. quality of captured data is a great example. Hmm. Um, data, data entry quality is usually piss poor, right? And if you capture it wrong upfront, it costs you more later, right? So how hard is it to upfront say, have you get that name right? Did you get that birth date right? You know, there's things I can do check. I can go out to, you know, uh, you know, some one of these uh, services and and confirm based upon name and, and birth date that yeah. the person of that name, yeah, exists at that address, right? And uh, so there are things I could do to ensure quality. I can uh, Im improve. Um, you know, uh, gathering information, as you said, I, I can aggregate that data together. It, it, but it really is, it comes down to the experience, right? I mean, they, they are, I don't like bots. Bots is a horrible name. They're digital assistants. I do like, okay. it took me a while to buy into that, but they are. They, they, I like the idea that there are these pieces of software that are built to, in a particular situation, um, support the human in what they're doing right i mean you know like uh you know, hand me a wrench i didn't want you to fix the whole car i'm not looking for, for a bot that can come in and re rebuild the entire engine but it'd be yeah. nice to have the bot that i can say go get me the wrench a three quarters inch wrench and it brings me a three quarters inch wrench right i mean it, it, it it's assistive it, it what versus, what is the you know, what does the training set look like for that i mean i'm i'm putting it in how do you know you know, that that person needs a wrench. Well, you, do you have thousands of people, you know, going and saying, oh, look, you know, 999 people clicked on a wrench. I need another well, no. bottle of beer on the wall. Or? You're, you're trying to solve it at a, at a very coarse grain level, right? Okay. And most of these people want to solve something at a very fine grain level. I know what system I'm using for uh, accounting. I know how, I, I know what the forms look like that come in or the structure of the data, the way it comes in uh, okay. to do validation that these checks are, uh, you know, paid, we're paid by customers and we want to validate before we ship, right? Mm. And I know that I want to validate the this money. Uh, it, it was actually received and that the payments were cleared before I shipped the product, okay? So I have three nominal things that I want to get done. And so I'm very narrow. So my training is almost, well, let me watch you do it, Tim. Right. And then, oh, I see what you're doing. Okay, I can do that. And then the next thing on top of that would be, um, I'm gonna watch Tim do this for 20 days. And after 20 days, and when I'll be honest, we're not there yet. No one is really there as much as they claim to be. But we do have some machine learning models around UI, but we, you know, that's what I think the holy grail is, is, and we're getting there. We have a thing called Discovery Bot, which will watch people do things and then try to ascertain the task that they are doing, and then watch other people doing it and try to ascertain what's the best way to do it, right? But it's, okay. it's got growth for it, but that's the game, right? Let me watch Tim do this for a day or two days, and then come back and say, I got this, okay? I, 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 I can do what Tim does in this one instance for for validating 
these check numbers have these custom cust, customers have paid and that, that they are clear to ship. I can do right. that. So now Tim's not doing that anymore. So Tim is now able to use that time to go do more important things, hopefully, right? It's, I, I don't think that was Tim's whole job. Usually jobs like this end up being 15 to 20% of someone else's job. Um, right. You know, maybe that way well, the, the warehouse then manager you, you, or something. And then you have downstream errors that are, that are no longer track taking somebody else's job away, right? I mean, there's, there's two sides to this. One is improving the, entry, the, the collection, but then if you improve, reduce the error rate of that data, then there's significant wins for that. Uh, oh, the, the, that's the hard thing to get people to see is yeah. that collecting that data up front properly, cleanly, might reduce uh, errors in shipping. The product will get to the right person at the right time. You wouldn't yeah. have wasted that money shipping it to the wrong address and then having to recall it and reship it, right? I right. mean, these, I mean, how do you... How do you allocate for the butterfly wing effect, right? Or the butterfly? I, well, to me, they, what you just described, I, co I consider high entropy events, right? Like, I, and this is to me the like a car accident is the ultimate high entropy event, but because you're taking a perfectly usable car that's doing all sorts of things, and one instant you've converted it into a piece of metal, um, <laughs> right? So you went from from you know all of a but sudden you added all this entropy, you can't get it get back get it back. Right. Sorry. No, a but, weapon. You weaponize it. <laughs> but I mean, data has the same effect. If, if you have data flowing through a system and it's all clean and it's great and there's no errors, then all that's good. But your your error and the cost of fixing an error multiplies exponentially through the system. So as soon as an error gets in, you've now created a high entropy event that's going to add noise and chaos and cost into your system. And so it's are very real. We see this in provisioning, like in, in data center operational stuff. Oh, yeah. If you misconfigure something and it goes undetected, then the cost of fixing, you know, everybody's always said this, right? Uh, uh, it's a penny for something caught in a developer's, you know, keyboard. It, by the time it gets to production, it's, it's tens of thousands of dollars for that, that, same, that same mistake. Um, it's been true of auto ma manufacturing for years. I mean, mm. so I, I when I first started as an analyst, uh, the company I was working for and the guy who was teaching me to be an analyst had uh, one of his major services that he was most well known for was CAD CAM. And so the, mm. the CAD CAM analyst service would analyze every CAD CAM application, major, you know, CAD CAM package and uh, computer on the market. And, you know, for GE and Ford and General Motors and all those many major manufacturers. If they these products, the shift was so important for these reports because they would literally give up an entire platform that people knew and worked on if the other platform would help them design uh, a product that was five cents cheaper. Because at the mm. mass that they're producing scale, that change is nominal nominal because they're saving hundreds of millions of dollars at the other end of the line right yeah. so it's like wait a minute <laughs> you know this was shocking to me it's like this report was so important these people would spend hundred thousand dollars a year on this service because um they watched the features at the level of vectoring and everything and the analyst i, I knew who did this was phenomenal but down to that level of service where you know the CAD CAM package would tell them exactly what the cost to produce was and, and, and then start to do analysis on it. And if one could do the analysis better than the other, 
they take the entire develop the engineering team, design team, and retrain them on the new software the next year, the new system, buy it all new. It doesn't matter. $100,000 is nothing compared to what you're saving on the far end, right? So the, yes, these are, these are huge events. They're hard to, they're, they're almost intangible in the beginning. While they're very tangible at the end, uh, trying to convince somebody this is what your potential could be. It's like you could be the president of the United States uh, if you ever were a reality TV star. But, you know, the chances <laughs> of that happening, right, in, in, up front before you ever go through any of, you know, e even running a race, right, is zero. And, uh, and if you can convince enough crazy people to vote for you, then, you know, hey, you might be president, too. But uh, th this is what, yes, so y you're right. It it's, a, it's that trying, that separation, that gap from inception of idea of what could be to the downstream output of what is, is, is really hard to compute. And that is where there's a lot of money to be made. That's where data really comes in. And I think where big data is really a, a major major uh, game changer, right? Because these models, but I'll add one thing about RPA that I've been talking about, you know, for a while, right? And that is, where is the one place in the world that big data falls down? It's anywhere a human takes over because you have no way to measure what the human did. And I think that one of the things that RPA helps to do is insert points of data collection for human-led tasks so that you can actually, it's a way to actually start to aggregate that missing data in between pieces of automated things that we already know. And then, when, and then you can complete, really have the complete end-to-end -end process picture, right? So if you think about a warehouse um, and you know, everything's great once I uh, picked everything and put it on the truck and I get it to the store and I can figure out you know, so much about how much I'm selling and, uh, you know, how many pieces I should order. And I, I can do all that on the basis of the pure endpoints. But what I can't determine is how long does it really take me to get through, to, to get that item picked from a shelf and put it on the truck to get to a store, right? Because the, there's a human being walking around. Now, if I tag that person with something and then that tag is giving off data you know this is iot uh, as well as you know uh robotic type information if i can tag geotag this person how fast they're moving you know what they're actually doing which items they pick now i have the missing pieces right and i think those missing pieces affect the model i really do i, I think the models are incomplete because of the lack of missing data from from what we consider human-led tasks. Pete, this is uh, Stephen coming back, and um, I have to cut you off because if I don't, we just keep, keep going. And it's not you, JP, please. No, it's, I know. No, it's no. us. We would just keep doing these, but we found that most people like 30 minutes, so we uh, try I to agree. keep it. And for our listeners, JP is sitting with behind him. I, I'm looking at a picture of he's got the ocean and a breeze, and it's, it's very nice. Real. It, 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 it's real. I don't care, JP. Don't do that to me. <laughs> It's real. I'm looking outside and seeing snow melting, and it's 37. Are you really? Oh um, yeah, we had we got our first snow in Idaho. So as uh, far as I'm concerned, uh, 
you are in the islands is making me feel happy. Uh, JP, Yaman. Yaman. So any, any, uh, With the lime in the coconut. <laughs> so if anyone wants to contact JP when he's not on the beach drinking and, um, and dancing, uh, JP reach out to you, your company or any places. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm on Twitter uh-huh. uh, at, at JP Morgan, E N T H A L. Uh, and so, uh, I, I'm going to just ask that you wait until after January, probably to start following you on. Yeah. Don't go to Twitter. If you're, <laughs> if you're politically sensitive, uh, uh, I, I would recommend that. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I, you know, automation anywhere.com. I, you know, I do blog there and I blog at jpmorgenthal.com. So lots of information again, you know, I, I, I would wait till I wouldn't expect anything of value to come out until after January. And then even then, hopefully only. No, there's value. But, but JP, thanks again. It's been too long. And I know uh, we ran into each other again on Twitter. I'm like, why would we not have yeah. JP here? Thank you for uh, reaching you. out and connecting with us. And it's been uh, fun. Rob, always, always good fun. I never know where certain, I, I always know I, certain guests are going to take us in directions. I'm not we, sure. We, we got to do RPA one. It is amazing. We, we got to do one with me and uh, Keith and you guys on, on going deeper on the Kubernetes stuff, oh, because I, I think that that will be fun. That would be, be a series of six, one yeah. hour, one hour webinars. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I have to cut this. It will go forever. Thank you again to our listeners. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you want to participate, join us. We always have professional podcasters like JP, or we even bring new people all the time, as you know, reach out to us. Uh, JP, Rob, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Good talking with you.